nonobstant les compétences de la Cour pénale internationale, il est judicieux d'instituer au sein. In October 2013, Joseph Kabila, then President of the Democratic Republic of Congo, addressed the nation. Dans le milieu urbain, particulièrement à Kinshasa, une nouvelle forme de criminalité s'observe de plus en plus. Kabila spoke of a new form of criminality in urban areas, places like the capital Kinshasa. He went on to say that all legal means must be used by the police and judiciary in order to end it quickly and definitively. Not long after, at a meeting of the High Defense Council, Kabila gave instructions to his ministers to end the Kuluna phenomenon. On November 15, 2013, Operation Lukofi, or Iron Fist, was launched. Over the next three months, police conducted raids late into the night and early morning looking for suspected Kuluna gang members. 51 young men and boys, some as young as 14, were executed by police in front of family, friends and neighbours. 31 more were disappeared. These numbers are those that have been confirmed. The actual number is likely to be higher. So who are the Kaluna gangs of the Democratic Republic of Congo? That's the question we'll be asking today on Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Kinshasa, a megacity with a population of 12 million and rising, with the majority of those inhabitants under the age of 25, it sits on the south bank of the mighty Congo River. It's the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo and the largest city in Central Africa. Founded in the late 19th century as a small colonial outpost, by the 1950s the city was experiencing rapid urbanization. Such was the level of the migration to the city, it was unmanageable. And it was at this time the first street gangs of Kinshasa emerged. So my name is Thierry Vircoulon and I'm the coordinator of the Observatory for Central and Southern Africa at the French Institute for International Affairs. The two well-known gangs of Kinshasa slums were the Bills and the Yankees at that time. So, uh, in a way, uh, urban youth gangs have always been there, but their importance and their numbers have changed over time. And now they are much more prominent than in the past. The urban youth were the victims of the unprecedented economic crisis, the state collapse, and the complete breakdown of law and order at the end of the 90s. 
And that's where the, the proliferation of the Kuluna gangs come from, historically speaking. So that's when the Kuluna gangs first appeared as a product of the political and economic crisis at the end of the 90s. And they started rising uh, from the beginning of this century. At the beginning of this century, the street gangs were mainly located in the poorest districts of Kinshasa. The slums such as Yolo, Limite, Matete and Makara. But since then, they have uh, expanded to the rest of the city. And they have also spread to other cities in the DRC and even in the neighboring uh, Brazzaville for a short period of time. Thierry mentioned that the Coluna gangs have spread even to Brazzaville. That's the capital of the neighboring country with a very similar name, the Republic of Congo. Brazzaville sits just across the river on the north bank, almost a stone's throw away. The expansion of the Coluna gangs and the DRC's attempts to curb it has caused serious tension between the two countries. We'll come to that later. For now, let's get back to the Colunas in Kinshasa. These gangs are little known beyond the DRC. Local media has reported on the violence and community responses to urban crime perpetrated by the Colunas. But little is known about the gang's way of life, their relationship to politics and law enforcement, and the response of the government to counter them. So the question is, what are the Kaluna gangs and who are their members? I am uh, Marc-André Lagrange. I am a senior analyst uh, specialized in uh, the Greek Lakes. The people who join Kulunas, they're looking for respect, they're looking for justice. It's very clear in the, in the report and the interview we conducted that most of the people that join the Kuluna gangs because they were victim of injustice and they wanted to have respect and justice for themselves and to be recognized by the community. You see, Kuluna are somehow, they gain respect inside the, the community. At the same time, they are feared. They, they kind of, the, the problem solver, you, you look for as the, as the last resort when you have no other options because the police is failing you, the, there is no justice, so people go to the Kuluna to get justice and get revenge from the people who harass them. And at the same time, the Kuluna are criminals. Most of them are unemployed, so they live on the community. The fear that the Kaluna gangs inspire is due to their capacity for violence. The territorial nature of the gangs means they often resort to violence against anyone from outside their immediate sphere of control. Occasionally, a neighborhood could have multiple Kaluna gangs, but with a system of governance that follows a hierarchy based on their reputation and capacity for violence, we see situations where stronger gangs sponsor new ones. Other than Gombe, the downtown central district where government ministries and embassies are located, we see Kaluna gangs in all areas of Kinshasa. What I know is Kinshasa and Lubumbashi mostly, Urban crime has been growing very strongly in Kinshasa, where I live, and especially in periphery. So you have areas like in the center of the city where you have less crime. But when you go where I can say a kind of townships outside of the big city, then become truly headed. This is Rigobert Minani, head of the Research and Socio-Political Department at the Center for the Study of Social Action, or SEPAS. 
The profiles of Kuruna gangs are uh, very known by our center and our studies. Most of them, they come from separate families or a family where there is no true authority. Most of them, the majority, I, I should say, they are sons of former soldiers who died in the war, something like that, who are helpless. A big number of them are those who never finished secondary school, so they don't have any possibility of finding job, And they never go through a vocational schools to have a kind of uh, skill. So these, these are the, 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 the profile of these people. The lack of education, security and employment and perceived strength of the Kaluna gangs pushes young men into these criminal groups. Interviews with Kaluna members by the GI has shown that reasons for joining the gangs vary, such as pride in belonging to a gang, a feeling that justice and retribution are absent, or to protect themselves and their relatives. But despite high levels of poverty, this is not a driving force. The most striking reason for joining Kaluna gangs is as an expression of anger, injustice and frustration, to enact revenge on society. The culture of the Kaluna gangs is based on violence. Aspiring members must prove that they belong. Established gang members ask them to supply alcohol and drugs, while at the same time subjecting new recruits to violence. To earn respect and seniority within the gang, one shows strength through fighting and wounding other rival Kaluna gangs. Well, the organization of the gangs in Kinshasa is based on territory and hierarchy. Each gang has its own territory, and hierarchy among gangs is based on their capacity and reputation for violence. Well-established gangs rule over a territory, can sponsor new gangs, and have affiliates. The criminal activities, the gang fighting, and the Congolese rap music are the key elements of what we could call the Kuluna way of life. As a Kuluna gang member, you earn a living with criminal activities, mainly robberies and drug trafficking. You earn respect with gang fighting and you express yourself with the music. For instance, there is a rap band called Salopar in Kinshasa that is composed of former gang members and they are named after a Kuluna gang. Such as the importance of violence in Kaluna culture that gang fighting is almost as important as the actual criminal activities that sustain the Kalunas. At night, the streets of Kinshasa slums become fighting arenas for violent exchanges between rival gangs. A massive part of Kaluna culture is rap music, inspired by gangster rap from the United States. The music promotes violence, sex and bravado and has become a mark of the Kaluna. The artists themselves are often harassed by authorities, so perform clandestine gigs where alcohol, drugs and violence are common. But there's another side. In response to the violence on the streets of Kinshasa, Kuluna rap music is being replaced by songs with lyrics promoting education, peace and gender inclusion. But despite sounds promoting things like gender inclusion in society, Kaluna gangs are heavily male-dominated, and it's women who are quite often the targets. 
Women are more vulnerable precisely because they are usually the primary targets of Kaluna's attacks. This is Rose Muchanga, the president of CIFES, the Synergy of Women from Civil Society in the Democratic Republic of Congo, a women's rights organization. When Kalunas launch attacks, they focus on women. These groups of men, armed with machetes, threaten and beat women to steal their handbags, for example, and run off with them. Women suffer a lot from these movements, these crazy urban movements that we call Kulunas here in Kinshasa. Unfortunately, it's becoming more and more widespread because of unemployment, because of poverty. Young people who refuse to work, who refuse to look for a way to survive other than to steal in groups, which requires the creation of a movement. This is how the Kulunas were born, led by a chief, usually called a general, and who is responsible for supplying the group with equipment such as machetes and knives with which they operate. Alongside being the focus of attacks by Kaluna gangs, do women play a role within gang structures? Do they join the Kalunas? The main role of the girls in the Kaluna groups is to be informers, but also to serve as sex slaves. And finally, it is the girls who sell the Kaluna's proceeds, because what they steal has to be sold on the black market, the informal market. They can't resell these goods directly on the legal market. They have to go to the black markets, and it's these girls who sell the jewelry, the phones, the clothes, everything that the Kulunas were able to collect from their robberies. Often the main targets of violent robberies and serving as sex slaves, the brutality women and girls suffer at the hands of Kulunas cannot be understated. Unfortunately, girls and women are really exposed to sexual violence. First of all, you meet these young people, these Kulunas, late at night. Not only will they strip you of everything you have, but they will leave their mark. The Kulunas have two methods for this. First, they hurt their victims with a machete, and then they rape them. They themselves claim that rape allows them to leave their mark wherever they go. So yes, women are more exposed. Unfortunately, these rapes are perpetrated on women and girls of all ages. Children, sometimes as young as three or four years old, young girls, mothers, and even elderly people. Age makes no difference to them. A woman is a woman, and they even go as far as to gang rape an entire family in the course of their crimes. They have no shame. It's really a huge problem, a huge problem for women, because the Kulunas phenomenon is growing steadily, their numbers are growing, and so is the number of women who fall prey to their crimes. We have more and more cases of sexual violence committed by the Kulunas. 
qui sont commises par les Kulunas. It's a terrifying thought that as the Kaluna gang power spreads, so does the danger to women and girls. But there are some who are trying to help, like Rose's organization, CIFES. CFS has a program with young girls in two municipalities, the municipality of Kinshasa and the municipality of Selembao. These are the places we have selected as pilot communities where we try to mentor young women. These young women who easily join the Kuluna groups are often already addicted to drugs or are alcoholics. In such a context, they are an easy prey for the Kulunas. We have a program with WFAD that focuses on the fight against drug addiction and the Kuluna phenomenon here in Kinshasa. We only work with young girls. We supervise them, we organize psychosocial courses, during which we teach them about the harm and all the consequences of the use of drugs. And among these consequences is the violence that young people use as a means of survival by stealing, raping, and committing various acts of barbarism. This year, we have supervised more than 300 girls aged 11 to 28, all of whom have just completed the psychosocial phase. The vast majority of them have just given up drugs and are now in the empowerment phase thanks to our specific courses. They now have to live off their own work. If they don't manage to make a living from their work, they risk returning to the gangs to survive. So, this is a vast program that is also helping children aged 10 to 14 who are not necessarily Kulunas yet. The majority of them were still at home when we found them, but they were already on drugs. The drugs that these children are using already exposed them to being easily involved in these gang movements and to violence as a result. So, the work we've just done has helped several children not to join the gang movement called Kulunas here in Kinshasa. But we have also just recovered other girls who were already in these gangs and who have agreed to not only abandon drugs, but also these groups, to return home, join their families again, and live by their own means. They are therefore in this phase of empowerment. The violence that Kulunas commit against women and girls, against entire families and rival Kuluna members, is considerable. So what do the local communities think of the Kulunas? Here's Mark Andre again. If you ask anyone in Kinshasa, Kuluna gangs are just a plague, and they will completely agree on that definition. But as said in the title of the report, the Kuluna gangs play double role with and for the community. They are criminals and vigilantes. The paradox being that the communities are at the same time protected by the Kuluna gangs and the victims of the Kuluna gangs. The social link between the community and the Kuluna gangs members is essential, in fact. 
If you do not join a gang you do not know who is not from your community, you cannot be a Kuluna. Kuluna join people they know, in an environment they know, among their community. They are not outcasts, but they live with their family. There are no street children. They have uh, families. They are known. They are recognized in their community. They are at the margin, but at the same time, they are inside the community. Does this mean that Kulunas act as a kind of vigilante group, fighting to protect their area, their territory, their communities against rival Kuluna incursions? Well, not really. Here's Rigobert Minani. Yeah, this happened when there is Kulunas come, coming from other places to go and attack population in one community. I don't call this protecting community. They fight uh, to protect their area and their community. But at the end of the day, when there is not something coming from outside, they become also the danger for their own community. So their approach is not to support this kind of uh, behavior. You'd be forgiven for asking why the authorities aren't cracking down on the growing threat from Kulunas. While often politicians take a pragmatic approach, they fundamentally dislike and distrust one another. But politicians see the value in what Kulunas offer. Violence and how that can be targeted for personal political gains. In 2006, the Democratic Republic of Congo was in the midst of an election campaign. The incumbent, Joseph Kabila, was in a runoff against his rival, Jean-Pierre Bemba. Factions within the Bemba camp hired Kulunas as fighters, which included supplying them with firearms. After Bemba's defeat, Law enforcement targeted armed Kaluna gang members with extreme violence. Since this time, electoral violence has been systemic in the DRC. Here's Mark Andre. The relationship of the, the Kuluna with politicians is very uh, blurred in the sense that they provide services like security services and they help the um, politician to destabilize their opponent. And at the same time, when you hire Kuluna, it's at your own risk because you risk that they will disturb your home political rally. One of the very good description of the relation of the Kuluna with the politician is in the book Mathematic Congolese from Incoli Jean Bofan, which describes how the group of uses paid to conduct a demonstration in front of a politician house and at the same time the victim of the repression from the people who paid them. The politician, they will pay Kuluna to participate in a rally to make crowd. They will pay them to provide security services. And at the same time, the Kuluna will harass the people who come to this political rally. Or they will send them to an opponent rally just to disturb. Given the uncomfortable relationship and mistrust between politicians and the Kuluna, what makes the gangs get involved? They are mainly motivated by financial gain. They do have some political allegiance, but it's very, very light. It may be linked to the ethnic origin. Uh, if you are from the Casa, you will be more on the side of uh, current President Chisekedi. If you are from Katanga, you will more be on the, the side of former President Kabila. But really what is important for them is the opportunity to earn money. The financial gain is between 1,000 and 3,000 Congolese francs, which is between 50 cents and $1.50 a day. 
As we heard earlier, the election violence in the DRC is systemic. Kulunas are hired not just to break up opposition rallies and to intimidate rivals, but sometimes to provide security for other candidates. In 2011, the party of former President Kabila, the People's Party for Reconstruction and Democracy, or PPRD, outsourced the security of political events to a Kaluna gang member and judo champion. Former President Kabila political party, the PPRD, is very well known for having hired Kuluna as security services through the PPRD use uh, during the 2011 elections. The most known personality coming from the Kuluna gang is uh, Mushi Ndumbu, also known as Chaleur, who was officially coordinator of the sportive use of the PPRD during the 2011 election. And his role was clearly to provide security and also to orientate the people <laughs> during the campaign and during the vote. With current President Chisekedi, it's a little bit less clear, but he basically is very well connected, at least his party, to the taxi motorcycles, uh, commonly called uh, Wewa. In August 20, a group of 23 youths have been arrested in Kinshasa under the accusation of forming an armed militia to protect Felix Chisikidi. So you see, the links are not directly to the highest persons, but yes, there is clear links between uh, political parties and uh, some Kuluna gangs. But despite this use of Kuluna gangs for their own political purpose, the political parties that hire them consistently deny it, and in fact, often refer to Kalunas as a plague that needs to be dealt with. So let's head back to 2013 and Operation Lukofi, or Iron Fist. The idea put forward by then-President Joseph Kabila and his senior ministers was one of neutralizing the Kaluna threat, and by doing so, regaining support for his government. But instead, this brutal repression, which included executions of alleged Kaluna gang members and the forced disappearances of others, also caused a diplomatic incident just across the water in Brazzaville, the capital of neighboring Republic of Congo. While in Kinshasa, the police was hunting the Kulunas, the Kulunas went to Brazzaville. So Brazzaville, over a sudden, saw arriving a massive number of criminals. So very quickly, the authorities in Brazzaville started to expulse Congolese from DRC. And what was basically, at the beginning, an anti-gang operation turned to be anti-migration police operation. This basically highlighted the fact that there was absolutely no cooperation between the two countries in terms of security. And then it created massive arrival of displaced people by the police from Brazzaville into Kinshasa and created a massive humanitarian problem. The United Nations denounced those illegal actions uh, from the DRC government, which had for consequence that the head of the Human Rights Joint Office from MONUSCO was expulsed by DRC government. And in response, the UK and the US stopped their cooperation with the police and, and the police reform program. As you see, Likofi had mainly a negative impact because it was basically only heavy-handed, violent police operation. It was people from the DRC, already living in Brazzaville, who were not Kuluna, 
that paid the price for the Lokofi operation. As Kalunas arrived in the Republic of Congo, law enforcement forcibly and violently sent them back. But regular citizens, originally from the DRC, were also caught up in this repatriation. And in just two months, 60,000 people had been expelled from Brazzaville to Kinshasa. On the DRC side, as we've already said, this heavy-handed approach led to the execution and disappearances of quite a few people. And those women who were part of the Koluna, either forcefully or not, are still suffering the consequences of this operation. Here's Rose Muchanga. These women who found themselves in these gang movements were more affected by this operation because they were not targeted personally, but as they were surviving, thanks to the presence of these Kalunas and their activities, they were left vulnerable, in poverty, and therefore in great difficulty. They were forced to prostitute themselves the way the gangs taught them to, using their bodies to steal from clients and so on. All this to help the gangs. There are also the wives, the mothers, all these people are mentioned, relatives of those who were arrested without any proof that they were part of the Kalunas and who were arrested because their names were mentioned. Nobody checked. Now many people have been arrested and remain missing. So, as far as I'm concerned, I think that women have really been victims of their separation, which should have been a blessing. You might think that from the sounds of these operations that law enforcement and the army have nothing but hatred for the Koluna, that they are on polar opposite sides of the divide. But they really aren't. Despite the Lakofi operations, you can't miss the corrupt relationship between the Koluna gangs and the police. Here's Thierry Vercolon. But the problem is that when gang members are arrested, they are often released without being sentenced because of the intervention of policemen who are partners in crime. Some policemen are paid by the gangs to turn a blind eye, and some policemen are also involved in the gang criminal activities. They provide the gangs with weapons and information, and they even sometimes resell the stolen goods of the Kulunas. As a result, some police officers help some gang members to avoid justice. And in fact, police corruption and gang proliferations are two interlinked issues. The police are legally charged with combating the Kaluna gangs, but the reality is that they act almost like partners in crime as the security forces are involved in a range of illegal activities themselves. In addition to the police, there is the army. Together, they are both notorious for their corruption and disproportionate use of force. The police-Kaluna relationship is so interwoven that on the street, the police are known as Kalunas in uniform. Here's Mark andre again. As for politicians, police and army entertain a very blurred relation with the Kuluna gangs. Uh, members of the police or army may be former Kuluna members or have members of their family in some Kuluna gangs. 
The Kuluna, they are used as informant, but also as proxy by the police and the army. It's not common to have police or army member involved in Kuluna gang's fights. They help each other. And when Kuluna are arrested, then the family also will go see police or the army to get them released. There is a kind of cooperation. To the point that in Bunia, in Ituri province, or in Bukavo, in South Kivu province, the police commanders were cooperating openly with the youth gangs and were directly benefiting from the communal activities, especially during the period of the drift and then elections that precede the arrival of Chisikidi in power. By 2018, the final Lukofi, known as Lukofi 4, was in full swing. Coincidentally, the same year as an election in which incumbent President Kabila was desperately trying to cling to power. In this operation, the purpose was to increase terror in Kinshasa and send a message to the Kalunas that if they were going to work as political mercenaries, it better be for the ruling party or they'd be hunted down and killed. Fundamentally, the Lukofi operations, which used an assassination strategy, were widely condemned internationally. The US and UK withdrew support for their police reform program in the DRC. In 2016, the US and EU placed sanctions on the senior police commander in Kinshasa, General Celestine Kanyama. Internally, after the UN and Human Rights Watch released a report on the executions, the DRC expelled the UN Human Rights Director in Congo and launched an internal investigation. Two years later, the DRC government concluded that investigation. The result? They shifted blame onto lower-level officers, arresting and convicting 14 police officers with no chance of appeal. Three others were convicted in absentia. Unsurprisingly, no senior commanders or ministers have ever been investigated, let alone brought to justice for their role in the violence. By the end of 2019, Kabila had stepped down and was replaced by Felix Chisakedi. Operations against the Kuluna resumed, but have continued to have little effect. Here's Marc-André Lagrange. Last time I was in Kinshasa, the Kuluna gangs were proliferating and that was a new problem with the arrival of President Chisekedi that everybody was calling for more police, more security claiming that uh, Kuluna gangs were multiplying. In 2020, the, the Kinshasa governor, a former supporter of Kabila, uh, launched a new police operation against the Kuluna, and he claimed very quickly that they arrested uh, over 600 uh, gang members. Because there was no cooperation with justice, that they were immediately released because the prisons are overcrowded and the justice procedures were not followed. And nowadays, with the COVID pandemic and the poverty that increased, the, the Kuluna gang's members is just becoming increasing. We interviewed a former Kuluna gang member who was telling us at the end of 2020 that that was crazy, according to what he was saying, that even former Kuluna gang members who were out of business were coming back because basically the, the lockdown and uh, the anti-COVID measures put too many people into poverty. Despite the brutal tactics employed by the government of the DRC, the Kulunas continue to grow 
and continue to be responsible for armed robberies and violent assaults, creating fear about the future of Kinshasa and the wider DRC. Here's Rigobet Minanim. We are in a situation that is very, very bad because in one side we have a government that is not very efficient and the other side we see the city growing. So our fear it is that in less than 10 years it will be more than Lagos in terms of, uh, of moving the city but also in terms of criminality. So we need truly to have the government need truly to have a policy of addressing the question of criminality in the city. Otherwise, we'll be having enclaves that will be difficult to be reached and where the gangs will be the, the kings. Rigobert's organization, the Center for the Study of Social Action, works closely with these young men to try to support them through civic education and vocational schools. But a lack of funding makes it difficult. And the approach currently taken doesn't look at the nuance as to why young boys become Kuluna gang members. These people, are true that they are criminals, but they are also victims of a society that doesn't function, a society that doesn't give any future for young, young boys and girls, especially for those who didn't have the support of the family or someone in the family to take care of them. If there is someone to blame, it is the society itself, it's the government, it's those who have the responsibility to give a living to people. Indeed, there was one interview with a Kaluna member in the report, Criminals or Vigilantes, Kaluna Gangs of the Democratic Republic of Congo, about why he joined his local gang. Kalunas from another neighborhood had attacked his mother while she was selling bread. So he said, I decided to show them and I became Kaluna too. So what can be done to solve this complex issue of Kalunas? Here's Thierry Vokalon again. So, in my uh, opinion, there are four main recommendations. First of all, the authorities should make sure that the murder policy initiated for the Likofi operation is not implemented anymore. Secondly, the authorities should strengthen the justice response to the gang problem by creating a task force made of police and justice personnel. This task force should uh, target the most problematic gangs and should expedite arrests and convictions. Of course, it's to make sure that this task force will be effective. The screening of the personnel of this task force will be very important to avoid corrupt staff. And the convicted Kuluna should be systematically transferred to prisons far from Kinshasa. Thirdly, Kinshasa's municipal authorities and Congolese NGOs should work together to develop a job creation policy targeting specifically jobless youth living in the slums the slums are the recruitment pool of the Kuluna gangs. And uh, finally, given the persistent gang problem and the rapid growth of the urban population in uh, Congolese cities in general, actionable research about the security governance of urban areas uh, should be supported by the authorities and the donors. It's very important that we have a good picture of the criminal dynamics in urban areas in the DRC to be able to put in place a policy response that is uh, appropriate. And that hasn't been the case in the DRC for the past uh, 20 years. And that's why research on the, the, the rise of urban crime is so important uh, now. 
This episode was based on a paper written by Thierry Vercoulon and Marc-André Lagrange for the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. You can find a link to Criminals or Vigilantes, Kaluna Gangs of the Democratic Republic of Congo in the summary to this episode. I'd like to thank Thierry Vercoulon, Marc-André Lagrange, Rigobert Minani and Rose Muchanga for joining me on this podcast. For more podcasts from the Global Initiative, head over to our website, globalinitiative.net, or you can find us across your preferred podcast platform. Well, that's it for this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Thanks for listening.